All right, well, welcome. My name is Pastor Justin. I'm the, the lead pastor here at New Life. And we have been, um, we talked a couple weeks ago about rest for your soul. And uh, we said that when you're at rest, you can respond. And when you're overwhelmed or just busy, then you react. And um, it's that difference between responding and reacting that makes all the difference in the world. And God wants to give you responsibility, the ability to respond, and not just to react to everything that's going on in life. The ability to respond is the ability to go through the busyness, the mundane, the things of life, and be listening and responding to the Holy Spirit in the midst of it. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like, it looks like peace in the midst of a storm. It looks like rest in the midst of busyness. It looks like thankfulness in the midst of the mundane things, routine of life. And it looks like finding rhythm, the rhythm of grace in the midst of like the rat race uh, that so many of us find ourselves in. And what we know is that when we find rest for our soul in the worship of God, and uh, when our soul's not at rest, we find it difficult to worship God. If you maybe you're in this place right now where you're like, Pastor Justin, like it takes me two songs of worship to get to the point where I'm like, okay, whew, good. I put all that stuff down. I'm worshiping Jesus, but I took me two songs to get there. Like, um, it's important for us to realize something right, right off the bat before I even, you know, continue to get into the Word of God here today is this. All of humanity, that means you, that means me, that means your neighbor, that means your, your coworker, your mom, are all passionate worshipers. All of humanity are passionate worshipers. To which you may be thinking, like Pastor Justin, I don't think I'm, I think, I don't think I'm a passionate worshiper. Like you should see the lady next to me. She's like, whoop, whoop, you know, a little, like I've never, I don't like tambourines and I've never used a glory hoop. So I would not consider myself to be uh, a passionate worshiper. But here's my point. We all worship something. All of humanity worships something. For some people, it's a GPA. For some people, it's a, a hobby or a, a bank account, a drink, a band, um, a, a sexual pleasure, a relationship, a, a house. For some people, it's their, their, their child or a title, a ministry, or even just a comfort. The problem is this, and this is what we're going to talk about today. The problem is that none of those things that we are passionate worshipers of is, as humanity bring rest for your soul. All of these things will actually keep your soul in turmoil and striving and feeling like there's never enough. It's kind of like junk food for the soul. Like you can, you, if you sat down and I like gave you a steak, considering that hopefully you like steak, you'd get like halfway into it and you'd have this sensation of what? Of being full. Like you start getting into it and you're like, man, I don't think I can finish this thing. You gave me a huge pour. I don't think I can finish this. In the same way, last night, you were watching television, ate an entire box of Cheez-Its, the toasted ones, or a whole bag of chips. And at the end of it, you were like, I think I want some ice cream. That's how junk food is. I mean, you just keep, you just mindlessly eat it. And at the end, you're like, I think I need to balance this salty with sweet. Like, I need some chocolate, you know, or something like that. And at the end of it, you're still not actually full. Like, you've consumed calories, but you're just not satisfied. It's the junk food 
uh, of the soul. And as I was reading through this, I was, I, was, I was realizing John chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus is talking to a woman at a well, and he says, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so Jesus is saying that like when you drink in his presence, when you drink in his worship, right, you will be satisfied. And as I was reading this, I was remembering, it's not talking about like spring of living water. I was remembering this scripture in Jeremiah. I had to look it up. I was like, look back in Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13. I want to read this to you because he talks about the same thing that Jesus talks to this woman at the well about the springs of living water welling up to eternal life. Jeremiah 2, 13, God says through, through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, my people have committed two sins. Number one, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. It's interesting he uses the exact same term Jesus does. And number two, they have dug their own cisterns, their own wells, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Here's the point. We are all thirsty. And we were not being satisfied by the spring of living water welling up to eternal life, like Jesus says, then we will dig our own wells that leak and never stay full. And what God is saying to you and to me is you are great, passionate worshipers, but you are horrible at making idols. You are passionate worshipers, but you are horrible at being God. And so often we end up digging our own wells, our own cisterns that are leaky and never hold water. So I was thinking about it. I figured I'd kind of show you what, I, what I'm talking about. So the way it works is when you have um, like a, a leaky cistern, right? A leaky well. Um, this is what it looks like to us is much like this. It just kind of, it just leaks out the bottom. The problem with, with leaky broken cisterns is that um, we, we dig them for ourselves and whatever it is that we're passionately worshiping, whatever it is that we think is going to bring satisfaction to our life, whatever it is that we think is going gonna, is gonna to finally give us the hope that we've been searching for, it just requires so much attention. It's constant attention, constant pouring in with very short-term satisfaction. You just have to keep pouring into it. The thing with broken cisterns is this. They come with them kind of like a spirit of lack, what do I mean by that? I mean, when you keep pouring into something, thinking that it's going to bring hope, that it's going to bring fulfillment, and yet it doesn't, the spirit of lack just kind of keeps telling you that like, it's never going to be enough. You're never going to have enough, which is why all of those things that I mentioned, right? Like, let's just say money. You, you just never have enough. You just think, if I just get that next promotion, if I just get that next thing, it's going to be enough. And you got people that are like billionaires and they still don't have enough. They just keep pouring in. And all you get in out is what you put in. You have to keep putting in there to get something out of it. Now, the difference is this. When you have the spirit of living water welling up to eternal life, right? This is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, when you come to me, when you come drink, drink from me, there is a well, a spring of living water welling up from eternal life, which means that you are not something pouring into a bucket, a leaky well, hoping that it keeps water. You're literally full from the bottom up, from the inside out. 
He continually fills you so that when you, when you literally pour into that, it's just overflow. It's overflow. So no more spirit of lack. There's no more like, well, I, I, I just, this is all I have and I have no more. And if I, if I give it away, then, then I, there'll be less for me. No, the reality is, is when you realize that you're not your provider, that God's your provider, then you realize that you're free. You're free to give. Why? Because he's your provider. You're free to love. Because why? Because he loves you. There's so much in reserve. It literally swelling up from eternal life and completely overflows. You're free to forgive. Why? Because he's forgiven me. Like, how could, how could I not forgive? It literally is just overflowing. Very different from this, where we keep thinking, I think I'm going to get what I want if I just keep pouring into this, and I just keep pouring into this, only realizing that it's a leaky cistern, a broken well, and it's not worth pouring our life, pouring our time, and pouring our worship into. And this, this spring of living, living water reminds us that fullness is not measured by what we contain, but by what overflows. And it's a complete reversal of the way that our world tells us that we need to hold on to things, get more, accumulate, so that we can hold on to it. It's to give away. We're blessed to be a blessing. Amen? So John chapter 7, Jesus talks about this, and he says, verse 37, he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. So you're thirsty? You're kind of hoping that, that this is going to bring something. You're hoping that you're going, to, you're going to be able to drink out of this thing, but every time you bring it up to your mouth, there's nothing left, and you have to just keep pouring, and you wonder why you're tired. You wonder why you're worn out. You wonder why you're completely exhausted. He says, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. It's that from the inside out, it wells up to eternal life. And so when we try to dig our own cisterns, broken, leaky ones, what happens is it is inevitable that we will end up worshiping a form of godliness, but not God. We will, we will, we will literally end up worshiping something that looks like God, acts like God, smells like God, but is not God. It is good, but not God. And this is probably one of the greatest temptations as your pastor, like, Went to American Christians, I would say specifically to our culture, that we can fall prey to. It's very easy to look at people outside, the heathens out there, and say, oh man, you just see what the things that they're running after, the things that they're trying to find satisfaction in. The reality is, is this is a temptation for every single one of us because it looks like God, it smells like God, it sounds like God, but it is a broken cistern, a leaky well. So it can look like a whole lot of things in our world today. It can look like Christian nationalism, right? Where we kind of drape the cross of Christ with an American flag. The reality is, is does God love and care for America? Absolutely. He also cares for the 1.4 billion lost people in India. And he cares for the, for the world as it is. It can look like becoming really good churchmen, really good church attenders, and, and trading that in and not being radical followers of Jesus Christ ourself. It can look like accumulating all kinds of gifts and, and, and possessions, and God, thank you so much for, for this and for these finances, and holding on to them, thinking and putting our trust in the gift rather than the giver of the gift. It can look like, and this is the title of my message today, trading God for good. And this looks like this, like we, we try to convince ourselves that it is our goodness that saves us. 
don't know if this is new to you, like this is something that I hear all, all around, outside the church, inside the church, that, that, that it is my goodness, I'm, I'm a good person, and that is the thing that, that saves me. My fear is that we have reduced God down to good. And the reason that it seems so much easier, so much better for us to reduce God down to good is because good has its own reward. You do good things, people, people congratulate you for the good work that you're doing, and good always will, will try to convince you that good is good enough. And just, just keep doing good. Be good, which is why we have an entire generation, if we're gut-level honest, that we would like to think of ourselves as basically good people. I'm a good person. I'm not a sinner. I'm a mistaker. There's a difference, right? You, you, a, a sinner is a bad person who does bad things. They're like, they should be in jail. Like, we know who sinners are. But me, I'm not a sinner. I'm a mistaker, which means I'm basically a good person. I just mis make mistakes every once in a while. And so I'm not, I'm not that. I'm, I'm this. The problem is this. There is an inherently a flaw in that reasoning, in that, in that logic, and it's called our track record. Our, our track record does not line up to what, what we'd like to believe. My track record of decision-making does not line up to what I would like to believe about myself. I, in fact, am not a mistaker. I'm a sinner, which means that I need help, not for myself, but from myself. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And unless we get to the point of realizing, like, I'm just not basically a good person that makes mistakes every once in a while. Like, I am inherently a sinner. Like, I will choose bad, selfish things, given the opportunity. I need help, not for myself, not an addition, not a Judeo-Christian ethic or boundaries. I need Jesus from the inside out, that well of living water coming up, springing to eternal life, to uproot all of the junk and all of the things that, that I would rather do other than worship him. And it is this same temptation of trading God for good that, that we've been doing since the beginning of creation. So let me prove it to you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it starts out. You'll, you'll remember this. Even if you're not, not familiar with church, you'll know this story of Adam and Eve in the garden. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say that you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes are going to be opened and, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. In verse 6, this is where the trade of trading God for good happens. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was what? Good. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, she goes on, it's pleasing to the eye looks good to the eye. It's desirable for gaining wisdom. That looks good. She took some and ate it. And this is literally like the first time that humanity decided to trade God for good. And we have been tempted to make the same trade every day ever since. 
And unless we, unless we start, stop looking at Genesis chapter 3, that it's about apples and serpents and oddly named trees, we will never fully grasp what went down that day in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says, Eve looked at it and she's like, it looks good. It smells good. It tastes good. It seems good. And this is, this is the crux of the message here today. Like there is a good that is not submitted to God. In fact, church, and I say church, there, there is a good that is actually in rebellion to God. Sometimes we can call it religion, right? It's essentially what? Religion, I would, there's a lot of definitions of it, but I, in this context, I would say it's a, it's a man-made God called good. And it leads you to self-righteousness. Oh, it just kind of, rather than God and his word and what he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trade that in for what I think is good. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just worship that and leads to my own self-righteousness. See, the serpent was tricking Adam and Eve into believing this lie, that God and good are synonymous. If it looks good, it must be God. I know he said this, but I think this, so it must be the same thing. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, talks a little bit about this. He says this, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. It appears to be right. It looks good. And yet it is completely in rebellion to God. There's a way that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. And the, the danger that we face is the, the exact same thing that Adam and Eve faced. They were trading the word of God, what God said. Did he really say? No, he did. I'll tell you exactly what he said. They traded that for something that they thought was good. And today we don't call it good. We call it better. We call it more progressive. We call it more with the times. We call it more culturally relevant. We don't, we don't call it good. It's, it's better. And, and the church is is not usually deceived by outright evil rebellion. Like you're, 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 as a church, Christian, Christ follower, you're not usually deceived by pure, outright evil, right? Nobody's, going, no, nobody's walking out of here and being like, I don't know, I just feel tempted to just go break all Ten Commandments in one fell swoop. Like today, it's going to all happen. Just, I want to do pure, outright evil right now. That's all I want to do. I'm just, I feel like I, I can't say no to this. Most Christians are not tempted in that way. It will be evil that is masked as good. That's what happened in the, in the garden. That's what happens in every single one of our hearts. And it will be sin that we have justified in our own minds. And it will look perfectly good and get completely rebellious to God. See, what we find is when we look at like this original sin in the Garden of Eden, the followers of God were not deceived by evil. They were deceived by good. They were deceived when they turned away from the word of God and settled for worshiping good. Not only in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, let's fast forward to Exodus chapter 32. This is the whole story of the golden calf, right? 
If you, I'll kind of give you a little refresher. Moses is there. He's the leader of the Israelites. And he goes up to meet on Mount Sinai with God. And the Israelites get jiggy because he's been gone a month. Like he said, he was just going to go up there. They're like, where is the guy? They're, he's MIA. We don't know if he's coming back. And because we are all passionate worshipers, they're like, we need to worship something. And they didn't really have a, a relationship with God. They had a relationship with a man of God who had a relationship with God. And let me just tell you, that is the temptation for every single one of us to do. Well, I don't really, I, I don't really, I don't know about God, but I do, I do know a guy that has a relationship with God, and so I listen to everything that he says. That's for a whole other sermon, and I'll stop. But it is a temptation for every single one of us to fall into. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, so they have this idea. That's a great idea. Let's make a God. Let's, I, the man of God who was our connection to God is gone. I don't know if he's coming back. So we're just going to make a God. We'll call him God. He'll be God, the same God that we've been worshiping. But we'll just, we'll make something. And so Aaron, who's not a great leader, was left in charge and was like, okay, well, I guess we'll just make a God. Everyone wants it. Give him what the people want. And so he says, give me all your earrings. So they take off and collect all of their gold earrings and probably some, some toe rings. I don't know. And he and he gathers all of them, and he melts them down. And they're in the desert, so they don't have great, like, smelting. I think that's what it's called. They don't have great opportunities to be able to, like, carve things and all this kinds of stuff. And so I kind of wonder if, if it happened like this. Like, they melted down. It's kind of a big blob of a bit. And they're like, what is it? He's like, it's a cow, a golden cow. They're like, you made a cow? Our God looks like a cow? He looks like a lumpy, misshapen cow? Like, why not an eagle? He's like, I had a hard time with the wings, the feathers, right? Like, we should have hired an artist for this. Like, this is weird. Either way, they make a golden cow. I don't know how great it looked. I've seen pictures in, in like, kid stories. It looks awesome. I highly doubt that it looked that great. I'm just going to be honest. I think they're like, I think it's a cow. So they start dancing around this cow. They start worshiping this cow. They bring gifts to this lumpy, misshapen cow, calling it God. They're singing songs around this cow. They're like, you're 5,000 candles in the wind. I mean, they're like, literally, they, they start dancing around him. Let me just tell you, it is easy to see idolatry when you're dancing around golden cows. That's easy. Now, it's a whole lot more difficult when it's not golden calves that we're singing songs to. You see golden cows, they're like, that's archaic. They're like cavemen. What in the heck are they doing? Like, this is weird. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 brings this full circle, and he speaks to what was really happening in the human heart, not with, not with fruit on trees of weirdly named trees and, and not with dancing around oddly shaping golden cows. But what's going on in, in the human heart? And he says this in Romans 1, verse 21. Catch this. This is powerful. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And this is the trade. Look, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being. 
and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth. Here's the trade. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Is it most <laughs> that is a powerful section of scripture. Paul says that although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And quite honestly, I think that that's kind of where we've arrived today. We're so enlightened that we're darkened. We're so, we're so smart that we're dumb, right? There's all these things that sometimes when you look at, around at our world today and you scratch your head thinking, like, am I eating crazy pills? Like, what is going on right now? Are you, like, how is this, how, how do we think that this is, although they claim to be wise, they became fools. Why were they fools? Let's read it. Verse 25. Again, he says this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. They exchanged the creator God for broken cisterns, leaky wells, things that do not hold water. And Paul says that they exchanged the creator God for the image of God. What's interesting is, I want you to just pay attention to verse 23. What does the image of God look like that they created? It looked a whole lot like you. It looked a whole lot like me. And how often are we tempted to make the same trade? That we, you know, we aren't eating fruit from strange trees and we aren't dancing around golden cows, but we certainly trade the creator God for a God that we've created in our own image. Our own image. Not, not golden blobs or oddly named trees. Like, what happens is that the question is no longer, well, what does God say about this? What does the word of God say about this? The question when we make the trade from God to good is this question, how do I feel about it? What do I think? What do I think about it? Does it look good to me? And so instead of worshiping a God who created us in his image, we choose to create a God in our own image and worship that. And this is not new. This is Adam and Eve. This is the Israelites so many times, and this is you and me. This is even Jesus' disciples. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, this is the question, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, it's really good answers. They're like, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. 
See, everybody has things that they've heard about Jesus. You can ask people on the side of the street, who do you say that Jesus is? And they'll say, well, he's a good teacher. He's a long-haired hippie in a bathrobe. Like He has some good things to say. Maybe he's the son of God. What, whatever those things are, we've got a lot of good questions. But then Jesus, Jesus turns to his disciples, the followers, the guys that had been with him, ate with him, listened to him. And he asks them one of the most profound questions. He asks them a question that strips away everything else, all of the man-made religion. He asks them this question that every single person who got baptized today had to wrestle to the ground. He says in verse 15, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? What about you? Well, my mom thinks that you're, that you're the son of... Well, yeah, but, but what about you? Who do you say? Who do you say that I am? And I can just imagine the crickets chirping just like right now as the disciples are sitting there thinking, what's the right answer? I don't know. I mean, John the Baptist, that was a good one, right? Elijah, sure, that'd be great, yeah. We could agree with all those. And just as they're sitting there in this silence, Peter, leave it to Peter, 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 pumpkin eater, he just jumps right in and answers the question. He jumps in and his answer lives on in infamy. And he says, I know you are. He says, you are the Messiah. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Peter's answer was one of the strongest claims recorded about Jesus in the Bible. And Peter just knew because he'd spent time with him. He'd ate with him. He'd spent the past two years with him. He's, he'd seen him. He'd watched him do miracles and had him come alongside and, and do miracles with him. He had spent so much time that he knew 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 who Jesus was. And Peter was all in. All in. I'm just jumping in. <laughs> no holding back. I'm just, I'm, I'm going in. Because if it was true, then it was the only thing that mattered. And if it wasn't true, then he was just wasting his time. And church, person, individual, it's, it's, it's your personal answer to this question that will end up answering so many of your other questions in life. It's, it's every single one of us has to wrestle this question to the ground. I can't, your neighbor can't, your mama can't. You've got to come to that place of what about you? Who do you say that I am? Why don't you stand with me? Jesus uh, looks at, at Peter, and he, I just want to show you the affirmation that, that Jesus has in verse 17. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh. Your mama didn't tell you. Your grandma didn't pray you into it. She... You didn't hear about it from a street preacher. 
You didn't watch this on a televangelist. Billy Graham didn't tell you. He says this, it was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Who do you say that I am? And I want to give you an opportunity today, like if, if God's speaking to you right now and you got this like, whoa, <laughs> what, a, what about you? Maybe you've gone to church and you've heard about what people have said about Jesus and you've heard us sing about it and heard me talk about it, but like you've never come to that place of like finding that understanding and revelation on your own. I just want you to know, <laughs> Jesus is asking you that same question who do you say that I am? And he's trying to strip away all of the preconceived notions. It doesn't matter all of the, the, the bad Christians that you've, set, that you've been around or that have hurt you in the past. He's literally saying, but what about you? I'm not asking you about what those people believe or what they've done. I'm asking you, what, who do you say that I am? Because I want to show you who I am. I want to show you who I am. So if you've never met him for yourself, and you want to, you're just at this place like, like I was in eighth grade when I was like, if this is true, then I want it. <laughs> I don't know if it is, and I, I have no clue. I, but if it is, I, I don't know, I, I want to have a relationship with the living God because I'll tell you, I'm, I'm tired, of, tired of this. I want to pray with you today. So just between you and God as we enter into worship here right now, you just raise your hand. Just say, God, I'm, I'm listening to you right now. This is just between you and him. This isn't even between you and me. This is just between you and him. God, I'm, I'm hearing you. And if this is true, I want it and I receive it in Jesus' name. I want that today. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. There's nothing magical about it. It is just coming to that place and saying, God, I'm all in with you. Reveal yourself to me. Make it real to me. Let me pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner. I'm not just a mistaker. And I need to be saved from myself. And so I receive you as my Lord today. I ask for your forgiveness for my sins. And I pray that you would fill me up with that, that living water that wells up to eternal life. pray you give me the courage to be able to walk it out in obedience to you. And I trade in my good for God today. So Jesus, I pray for those that, that made this prayer, maybe for the first time today. Lord, I pray for freedom in this place. I pray that even as we sing this last song, Lord, I pray that addictions would fall off. I pray that, that you would make yourself real to each and every single person in here because we realize that you only have children. You don't have grandchildren. We have to encounter you personally. We, can't, we, can't, we have the relationship with the Almighty God, not a relationship with a man of God who has a relationship with God. Lord, we, we strip all those things away and ask that you would meet with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.